Um, and, and thanks so much. I know some of you have told me that you were praying um, for me last weekend. I was, went to Gothenburg to speak at the New Wine Leaders Conference there on Saturday and then preaching at various churches on Thursday night and Sunday. And um, uh, just really appreciate your prayers. It was a great time. I went, okay. Um, amazing, the church we went to on Sunday afternoon. They've um, baptized 80 people in the last two years, and all bar a few of them are um, Muslims uh, who have come into Sweden through their open-door policy. But it's been a great opportunity for the churches. I prayed with a a guy from Afghanistan, a a girl from Iraq on Sunday, and they're so so open in faith. You you say, what would you like prayer for? And they say, well, I've got a migraine headache. I get migraine headaches. Say, okay, well, let's pray. And they just say, no, 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 you just place your hand on this lady. She just got my hand. She said, you just pray. You're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yes. She says, you just pray. It will go. Um, and I think, well, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Sometimes we have to press in in prayer. You know, we have to keep praying sometimes. And, uh, but I said, but Lord, if you, you, know, well, you know, please do heal her. And I said, thank you very much. It's gone. It's all just totally for them. It's just they're so faith-filled. Um, and it's really exciting. There are two baptisms on the Sunday that I was there. Uh, one girl from Lebanon and um, a man from uh, Afghanistan. It's really exciting to see what God is doing. I've been praying for some of that kind of evangelistic spirit um, uh, for me and our own church. And they send greetings uh, to you um, and said thank you for letting y- your pastor come to their churches. I, I said, actually, you, you paid me to go, but um, it was great fun and really appreciated the prayer. Um, Okay, we're going to get into our groups a little bit earlier tonight um, so that there's enough time to discuss things and um, Jan is going to share a little bit with me. Um, So, Jan, why don't you come? Jan is so good at chipping in the bits that I miss out. Um, I I started off this evening um, just putting here a kind of thing, I've called it the case for freedom because... I I shared on week one how my own experience was that for years we've sung about Jesus Christ sets us free for freedom, Christ has set us free, and I can sing all the songs, I still remember them, Um, but I don't really think I knew how to put it into practice or what it meant. I mean, I knew that Jesus had set us free upon the cross, but I knew also, even as a teenager becoming a Christian, I knew that I was not entirely free in myself. I knew that I still had thoughts. Um, I, I would have critical thoughts. I would have lustful thoughts. I, well, I'm not free of those, and I, I didn't always know how to deal with them. And yet we would sing about freedom and about how freedom was the inheritance of God's people. And I knew that we were told to exercise our authority in Jesus Christ, but I don't think anyone ever taught me how to do that or what it really meant. I think I just thought it's just going to happen just as we kind of go along. And I think, for me, there have been three big movements in my life, of, that maybe three, if you like, bits of the jigsaw puzzle. When I became a Christian, I fell in love immediately just with worship. Um, this was 1970s and the coffee bar movement in full swing and I just loved the music and I, I, I found myself captivated by um, the, the songs and um, I, 
have always believed and still do that as we worship the Lord, um, you know, with the, with the high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand, we march on to the victory. Um, and I believe that as God's presence inhabits the praises of his people, so as we worship God, we're changed, we're transformed. And I believe that. I think there was a time I thought that's all we need to do. Let's just worship the Lord because his presence comes as we worship. And that's all we need to do is worship him, worship, more worship, um, because we're transformed in his presence. And I still absolutely believe that, more worship. But it's not the only thing we're commanded to do. Then we discovered, Jan and I, the, the ministry of the Spirit, that actually as we worship, we can welcome the Holy Spirit to come, that the, the being filled with the Holy Spirit brings transformation. We who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, uh, filled with His Spirit, are being changed from glory into glory. So we're transformed as we worship God, but we're kind of also transformed as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. And then we described to you how um, maybe 10 years ago, um, we reached a point in our own lives when we were praying for more of God's Holy Spirit and more encounters in worship, but it wasn't helping us to deal with the problems and the issues we were facing in our church situation. At almost exactly the same time, I began, maybe it was linked, I don't know, but as the, the leader of the church, I began to be dissatisfied with what I saw happening in our ministry times. And this was embarrassing for me because we've kind of put our, our whole lives into let's more Holy Spirit. That was our only prayer for about 10 years. More, Lord, more of your Spirit. You know, first worship, now there's more of the Spirit. But Paul says in Romans 12, he says, be transformed not by worship, not by the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't think we'd ever thought about what that really meant, other than um, learn more about the Bible. Renew your mind, just, just learn the Bible. And learning the Bible is really important and good to do. But I think it's more than learning the Bible. And we've tried to describe for you some of the journey that God took us on um, as we began to, to get into this, the stuff we've been sharing with you. Perhaps for some of us, the, a missing piece, if you like. We, we, we get worship. We get the ministering of the Spirit who empowers our lives. But we're saying we also believe we need this fundamental piece as well, which is that we're also called to pull down the strongholds, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And somehow this is our work. This is our job. This is our task to do. We used to have a time of ministry at the end of every evening service. Um, in London, people would come forward for prayer ministry, and about the same time, we were really struggling with some problems that we didn't know how to deal with in the church. I we had a time, I'd preached one evening, and we invited people for prayer, and a lot of people came, and we had a huge stage area, I mean, like, probably t twice the size of this, and... Um, uh, we, people would come up and, and would receive prayer. And I, was quite a lot of people came up for prayer. And I was standing on one side, and I decided just to sort of watch. Um, I wasn't involved in praying. And we had a lovely lady on our girl on our, our um, prayer ministry team. And um, I just, she was closest to me. And a woman came up. She was a visitor. I think I'd seen her before. Or maybe she'd been coming a few weeks, but I didn't know who she was. And um, 
this lovely girl that I have trained in our prayer ministry team, I was able to hear what she did. And this girl said, yeah, I said, I love prayer. She said, I, I'm feeling really far away from God. So I think I don't really pray. And um, I, I'm in a relationship with my boyfriend. You know, we're kind of living together and it's not kind of going very well. And I'm upset about my grandmother, something or other. And, um, and she was saying, and actually there's other things in my life that I probably shouldn't be kind of doing. And I think there was some got a bit of drugs and stuff. And, um, and my prayer ministry person um, put her arm around her and said, oh, bless and then she said, well, let's pray that the Holy Spirit will come. And she prayed. And I, I saw the signs that I've learned to recognize of the Holy Spirit. Because when we pray, the Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit came on this girl. And she started to shake. I mean, just her hand started to shake quite violently for a, for a short time. Um, and my uh, <laughs> prayer ministry team leader just kept saying, thank you, Lord, more, Lord, more, Lord. Um, and then she put her arm around her, and, and then it was all over, and she said, you know, God bless you, that's wonderful. And she walked, walked away. And I think it was because of what we were beginning to experience, and God was preparing something for me, that it just made me take note of it, and it became quite um, a, a marker for me that one event. And I went home and I remember saying to Jan, is this what we've come to? We have big stuff going on in our lives and we just come and we say, there, there, shake a bit and then go home. I mean, repentance? I mean, shouldn't we be, I mean, is, are we allowed to say that anymore? I mean, are we allowed to say that's not right? We, uh, our prayer team, they pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. Well, you know what? God loves you. He will fill you with the Spirit. You don't need to worry that you're insignificant. He will fill you with the Spirit. When I was filled with the Spirit, I was taught to put my life in order, to look out for anything that might be blocking the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, so that I was ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And I realized we'd got into a stage where it was just more, Lord. We were asking the Holy Spirit to put people's lives right, to transform people's lives. And the Spirit would always come because He does. But the Spirit can't do what the Spirit isn't given to do. And the Spirit isn't given to trash your will and your choice to put your life in order. Only I can do that. Only I can be responsible for that. And it's that us thinking, gosh, what have we done that we've just trained an entire prayer ministry team that basically just say, there, there, come Holy Spirit, to every issue that might be going on. We'd probably say it to someone who had murdered somebody. Oh, there, there. I'm sure you had good reason to. Just let's pray the Holy Spirit will come upon your life. I mean, you get the picture. We, I just realized there's a missing piece. And that's what began to, one of the things that led us into this whole understanding that this is a, another important piece of transformation. We must never stop pushing into worship or pushing into um, the, the power of God's Holy Spirit. But this is important too. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Pull down the strongholds. This is our work and it needs to be because some of the things that God makes us and builds us into can only be done as we're willing to enter the, the struggle. I've probably told you the story because we've been here almost a year now, but I told it in Swedish. Um, well, I didn't tell it in Swedish. They translated it into Swedish on Saturday. 
about the boy and the, the caterpillar. He finds his caterpillar and he decides to put it in a little matchbox to see what will happen to it because he, he knows that they kind of go through various transformations. And sure enough, the caterpillar turns into a chrysalis and it goes all hard and looks dead. And every day he gets it out and has a little look at it. And then one day he opens the matchbox and he finds the chrysalis is moving. And he knows that there's going to be a butterfly emerging from it. And then one day, he actually sees the cocoon is broken and the chrysalis is just open. And he can see th this creature trying to crawl out of it, but it seems to be stuck. The chrysalis is holding on to it and it can't quite get out. And he's really keen that the butterfly should emerge because he wants to see what it looks like. And so he very carefully, he prizes the, the chrysalis apart and leaves, leaving this butterfly all sort of scrunched up, leaving it uh, in the middle of his little box having helped the, the butterfly. He goes off to school, um, comes back excitedly to see his butterfly, to find that it's in the same position he left it, scrunched up in the middle and dead, not moving. And he does all his research and finds out what any lapine doctrist, butterfly obsessive, knows about, um, which is that as the butterfly struggles to get free of the cocoon, it, it pumps fluid into its veins, uh, the veins of its wings, and it's what makes the wings unfurl. It's what gives them the strength that they need. It's fluid in the little veins that run through the wing. That's what helps them to stretch out. It's what helps them to fly. And what this little boy has done in actually trying to help the butterfly has actually killed it. And I, it's not a perfect illustration, nothing is, but there's something that, that God works in us, something that's precious to him when we engage in the struggle. Because I, 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 there's got, the, the, God could so easily have done it differently, but what we see in Scripture is that, that, that by perseverance, often through trial and difficulty, by keeping going, by applying our minds to the battles that we face, God is somehow making us into the people he wants us to be. And I'm sure if there was a better or an easier way, God would have given it to us. But it seems that that's the way over and over in Scripture. It's the way. We become the people God is making us by learning to fight, by learning to, to, to deal with the struggles and, and taking the sword of the Spirit and the weapons of our warfare and, and learning how to put them into practice. And in doing that, it, it somehow makes us the people that God is wanting us to be, people who have suffered well, people who have struggled well, people who have endured, people who have persevered through difficulty, they're the people I look up to most. Aren't, aren't they for you? I don't look up to the Christian that's never had a day's problems in the world. How, how would I look up to them? What, what, they, what have they got? They just had a charmed life. They haven't had to put into practice the disciplines of patience and endurance. They haven't had to forgive because they've been deeply wounded by people who have let them down. They have, when people have, have come through that stuff well, they wear it on their faces. It's like a glory. And you think, well, they've been through it, but look what they've become. Look at the faith and the confidence in God that's been established in their lives through it. And I think that's what I want to be like. The Holy Spirit is not given to us to take away the, the need to struggle, the need to fight. The Holy Spirit is the one who works in us to fight so that we become what God wants us to be. That's my little introduction. Anything I should have said? Sure? Because this has been a journey we've very much made together. I suppose the only thing that I would add is just and the sense of being stuck, personally stuck, in my maturity 
um, as a Christian, you know, had grown a great deal in the early years, but I felt at this point in my life that I was stuck and I didn't have the resources to make progress through it. Um, everything I'd learned up to then just wasn't helping me. So that's kind of personally what led me to this need to investigate what was going on in my life and how I could break through. So why does freedom matter? We've summarized it on the first page. It matters for the sake of mercy. I mean, when we're struggling with strongholds of fear or rejection or unforgiveness or whatever it might be, I mean, it's not a good place to be. It wrecks our lives, and it's, it's horrible. And when you see it in the lives of other people, you see sometimes maybe you've got friends, they've become so bitter and embittered about something, and you wish that they could see what it's done to them. And mercy alone should want us to pursue freedom because it's, it's a better life to be free. Um, the message, people become Christians on the basis of a promise. Come to Jesus and he will forgive your sins and set you free. Well, we, have, we know that we have to be bearers of the message in, in, our, in, in our behaviors and our bodies as well as just speaking the words. And we're telling people out in the world, come to Jesus and he sets you free. Well, it jolly well better do because we've, we've told them, we've promised that that's what will happen. And yet we know that the analysis shows us that the single biggest reason people don't become Christians in the West is because they say this, and we need to face up to this, because they say, we just don't see enough discernible difference between you and us. We don't see you en masse coping with the difficulties of life any better than we do. We doubt that there's any truth in it, because we don't see it. And I think that's one of the reasons we need to pursue freedom, is for the sake of the message. How can we preach a gospel if we're not ourselves demonstrating that freedom in our own lives? Um, so for that reason, you know, the word must become flesh. Je Jesus says, I've come to set you free, but it's got to become flesh in me. It's got to become, the word has to become flesh, always. The word becomes flesh. And if it isn't, then it needs to. And I need to find out what might be stopping it. The truth of God's word has to become flesh. It's got to be incarnated in my life. Majesty. God wants his glory to fill the whole earth. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. God wants to reveal his glory and majesty to the world through us and through what he's doing in my life. God is glorified when I'm pursuing freedom when I'm learning to fight the battle against um, slavery to all kinds of things in my life, it's giving glory to God. It's bringing his glory into the world. Uh, mission. God wants his message to reach all people. He's commissioned all of us as his servants. The extent to which we're bound by strongholds of fear and insecurity means we're not as open or available to the Spirit to work through us and to reach people. Um, uh, Jenny, you were just saying, telling me on, on, on Sunday you were quite prompted by something. Yeah, just a, a very simple example. In my, in my, um, on Sunday, uh, I was, um, I felt prompted, I won't go into the reasons, to invite my parents, first of all, for lunch, because it was Mothering Sunday, and then um, my next-door neighbour, who was on her own, and um, so I thought I prepared the chicken and put it in the oven and everything, and obviously we had the all-age service, and in the evening, I knew I was doing the talk, so I had that on my mind. Came to um, 
got home to find that I forgot to put the oven on. <laughs> and I was so cross with myself. I was so cross with myself that um, I, I knew I was going to waste, you know, it would be, dinner would be late and all that time was going to be wasted and I was just really cross with myself. And, um, and then everything started to go wrong with the dinner. You know, I've cooked so many roast dinners, I could do it standing on my head, but it was going wrong. Um, and I was getting crosser and crosser. And then I just had that moment when I found myself thinking, hold on a minute. God, I felt, prompted me to invite my parents. God prompted me to invite my neighbor. And therefore, he didn't want me to get in a stew about the fact that I had made a mistake. And it just dawned on me all of a sudden that me getting stressed by this whole situation was really an own goal and just what the enemy wanted. And so I quickly recognized that this was actually self-condemnation, something that I sometimes do, pull myself apart. So I just confessed it to the Lord and said, Lord, that's not what you want. I'm not I just made a mistake. It's okay. We can do this. And it just transformed my attitude and made me enjoy the whole thing a lot more than I would have. So just a small example. Thanks, Jan. Um, ministry. We want to be more effective in ministry to others. I want to hear God's voice more clearly. I want to see more healing. I want to encounter God in a deeper way. But strongholds of unbelief and, and pride are resisting the very thing I'm desperate for. Jesus heard the voice of his father because he was totally dependent on his father. He emptied himself of every uh, ounce of pride and self. Um, he depended entirely. He, that's so he heard with pristine clarity what the Father was saying. But to the extent that I'm still not fully yielded yet to Jesus Christ, it, it resists the ability to hear God's voice as clearly as I want. For the sake of ministry, we need to pursue freedom so that I can hear God better. And making disciples. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. And that involves transformation, not just information. We need to know how to set the captives free, to teach others how to exercise their freedom. We've been saying that freedom um, is, is the ability to respond in any and every situation in exactly the way God intended. The weapons of our warfare are not primarily... <laughs> designed against the things that go wrong or the, or the problems that we encounter. That actually, those problems, it's, it's what they generate in me that is the bigger problem. That's what we learned. It, it's, it, there's always going to be problems and issues, and God doesn't tell us that freedom is the absence of any trouble or difficulty. It's the ability to meet every disaster in the way God intended me to meet it with faith and hope and trust and prayer and submission and uh, those, those kinds of things. Um, for example, I remember what somebody once said to me that they were really angry because they, they, they went for the bus, the bus didn't come, it was cancelled, it was late, and uh, they were going for an interview, and they told me that it, you know, quite clearly this was the devil. So the, you know, the enemy uh, was really against me this morning because I missed the bus um, and then was going to be late for my interview. And they said, I'm so angry. And I said, you know, you know what, I, I think there really is a battle going on here, but I don't think, I, I'll be honest with you, and I don't want to offend anyone, um, I just really struggled with the idea that it was God that cancelled a bus. I mean, sorry, the devil that cancelled a bus. I just don't think that the devil 
um, looking at my friend in London, thinks, let's really screw up their day. Let's cause a bus driver to oversleep so that the bus doesn't come, so that they get uptight about their interview. I honestly struggled to believe that. I believe in the power of uh, the enemy, or I believe that he tries to exercise that, but I, I just I struggle with that. What I'm absolutely convinced is that the enemy absolutely wanted this person in the state they were in. Anxious, angry, frustrated, blaming everybody, and totally downcast. Never crossed their minds to pray. Dear Lord, I have missed the bus. I may be late for this interview. How do you intend me to respond? You knew this was going to happen, Lord. So how do you want me to respond? Well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask your favor that if I'm late, they will understand. You can do all things, Lord. I trust you. If you want me to have this job, nothing can stand against it. I'm going to pray in faith. I'm going to pray in peace. I'm going to choose to live in the good of what God has done for me. And then I trust, whether I get the job or not, I can trust that God is going to open the door. That's how God intended my friend to respond that morning. And life would have been so much better. And all their friends would have seen such a huge difference in them. Instead, they saw her acting in exactly the same way as everyone else acts when they miss the bus heading for an interview. And I think that's a shame. Because it's in the little details of how we live our lives that people see the message. So our experience is that it's the, it's the re responses that are produced in us that actually are the biggest issue. And of course, there are schemes of the enemy that try to put... I, I don't doubt that there are. But I, I, I'm a bit nervous when we blame um, the devil on everything that goes wrong in life, rather than actually thinking, but more significant, is how am I responding? How does God intend for me to respond? And I want to look... Um, we're going to do this quite briefly at an overview of just some of the weapons of our warfare. Um, the Apostle Paul says, we pull down the strongholds using the weapons of our warfare. So what are they? Um, well, the first one is submission. That's a weapon. Submission, laying my whole life before Jesus, holding nothing back, allowing no rebellion or partial obedience to God's call on my life. How do I do that? Well, you do it by consecrating yourself. When God told Joshua that he'd set a promised land before them, he said, the time is now, you're going to walk into this wonderful land of promise that I have prepared for you. Uh, what's the first thing Joshua says to God's people? Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great things among you. It begins with consecration, which means submitting. That just means I, I gather the, the different strands of my life, and I say, Father, my job, my relationships, my aspirations for the future, my dreams, my hopes, I, I just want to bring them all into submission to Jesus Christ. Your will is supreme. Your will is better than my will for my life, and I just want to state that again. I believe that. Um, that's, that's what I, I want to do. Um, it involves asking God to search us. Psalm 139, search me, O God. See if there's any offensive way in me. I want to submit my life to you. That's a powerful weapon to consecrate ourselves before the Lord. And then um, uh, faith. Faith is a weapon of our warfare. Faith is exercised by coming to a position of trust in our minds and our hearts. I just want to explain this. We talk about a place... And I think it's quite a good word because 
it means, it means a kind of a, a position, an attitude that we choose to adopt. Um, if I want to show deference to somebody, um, I, I might kneel before them. It's a posture, and it demonstrates what I, I want to convey. It's, it's how I feel. Um, I want to defer to you. I want to, uh, I, I want to offer you something. Or I want to say, I don't like what you're saying. I want to resist you. And I, I, my posture shows what I'm feeling. But there are also postures of the heart. There are, there are postures that the heart adopts. It's a word that, that we're using um, because it's the best way I can find to describe a, a combination of the attitude, a choice. You know, like when you come to a settled place in your mind, well, I've decided we're going to do that. I wasn't sure. I think we might be. No, we're going to do that. No, we are going to do that. We're going to do that. Now I'm settled on it. That's it. We're going to do that. My mind and my heart, I'm, that's what we're going to do. It's a place. It's a, an emotional place. It's a, a choice. It's, a, it's all of those things. I mean, if somebody's struggling with an issue in their lives and they sort of manage to resolve it by coming to a place of trust, we so they're in a good place now. They're in a better place than they were last week. It's, it's, it's a, we're using place in that kind of emotional mind, and it's something that, that God actually requires of us. He says, I will meet you in the place of humility. So you work on a posture of humility in your heart. And God says, I will give you grace. I give grace to the humble. But if I have a posture of pride in my heart, where in myself I'm kind of thinking and acting like I can do this on me and I don't need anyone else to help, God resists the proud. Because pride is a stronghold. And it resists the truth of God. Because God says the way to get the best out of the abundant life I've promised you is humility. Humility beckons grace. Pride resists grace. So we're talking about postures of the heart. Faith is, it's a posture of the heart. Faith isn't just shouting louder that something is true. Uh, Faith is is almost a deeper conviction. It's just, it's a choice. I choose to trust what God's word says about this issue. I love the message version of um, uh, Romans 10. Say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. Embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. And that's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, you embrace God setting things right, and then you say it out loud because faith comes by hearing and faith comes when we speak. You say, God has set everything right between us. Um, And so faith is exercised and demonstrated by what we say. We confess our faith. Um, That's why we speak in our worship songs of the truth about what God has done. We're confessing our our faith. Um, Do you want to add anything to that? No, I think we were just talking earlier, weren't we, that um, faith, the opposite of faith, which is unbelief, Mm. um, is a a stronghold. And that um, we read in, um, I think it's 1 Corinthians, that the, uh, the devil has blinded the mind of the unbeliever so they can't see the truth. Yeah, because our battle is never against flesh and blood. When we've got people we're praying for to know Jesus, we're not fighting them. We're fighting the strongholds of unbelief that they've become victims of. 
Um, and so that's how our, our battle needs, needs to be. It just means that we pray in a slightly different way. Um, and, uh, you know, we're praying actually uh, for God to break through into that space in their, into that place in their minds rather than um, just trying to convince them, basically, with logic. I think I spoke last week about the power of our word, so I won't say too much, too much about that, but it's linked to this whole thing of faith, that we, the power of our words, the power of the spoken word is, is phenomenal because we're made in God's image and therefore we have that creative power in our words. So when we declare something that is profoundly true about God, about me, about his love, just speaking it, just saying it is, is hugely, especially when it's combined with faith. When, it, when, it's, when it's coupled with a settled position of trust. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will trust and then settle on it. And then speak it out. And it's powerful. And it's a weapon of our warfare. Um, when we speak out loud the truth, we're, we're what the scripture calls confessing with our lips. We're exercising the new self created in the image of Christ. We're giving voice to what God is doing, saying, and willing, rather than submitting to the voices of doubt, anxiety, self-sufficiency, all those other voices that crowd in the moment something happens, the moment something's difficult or a challenge or a problem, or just presses one of my hot buttons, all those other voices kick off. The old self suddenly seems to kind of emerge from me. Sometimes so powerfully, it makes me wonder if I'm even a Christian anymore. I think, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Well, we don't need to be despondent about that because that's just the old self. It's dead, but it sometimes likes to kind of pretend it's getting up out of its grave. So we just have to put it back. Uh, you died. <laughs> Get back down where you belong, <laughs> into the grave. And I'm choosing the resurrection life of Jesus. Um, and that's what we need to say and think. That's the attitude with which we exercise this, um, this, this weapon of faith. And then we come to grace. Um, and grace is a word we use a lot as Christians, and people often confuse grace and mercy. They think they're one and the same, but they're not. Uh, the definition of grace that I love best, I heard from James Ryle um, many years ago. He was a pastor in the States. I don't know uh, where he is now. But um, he said, imagine it like this. Grace is at the very center of everything that God does. His grace Grace is, the, is, is not just mercy. We tend to think grace is God's mercy to me, but it's not. Um, great, uh, mercy is, is, is something else. Grace is the empowering presence of God to do what God called me to do and to be what he's called me to be. God gives grace to be what he wants me to be and to do what he wants me to do. If I try to do what I want to do, or be the person that I want to be, I fall out of grace and I fall into mercy. And the job of mercy is to always pull me back into the center of grace. If I reject grace, I fall into mercy. If I reject mercy, I fall into judgment. The role of judgment is to show me my sin, to try to lead me back into mercy, to lead me back into grace. God is always trying to bring me back into the center of his grace. If I refuse the judgment of God, ultimately, let's say this happens overnight, you end up in what the Bible calls outer darkness. The only thing you want to know about that is that you really don't want to be there. Um, 
but there is a place of outer darkness. There is a place of hell. Uh, there's a place of uh, the rejection. God gives us the ultimate right, if you so choose, to reject the grace, the mercy, and even the judgment of God. But God is always wanting to pull us back into the center. So how do we fall out of grace? There are gateways that lead us out of the empowering presence of God, and they are pride. I don't want to be what God wants me to be, and I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And so I fall out of grace, and I fall into mercy. And the mercy of God is intending to try and push me back into grace. The gateway back into grace is humility. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Always the way back in is humility. I confess that I'm sorry. I, 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 I recognize that I, I'm in a place of judgment now. You're, ex, you're exposing the, the severity of the sin and my attitudes and my heart. I'm sorry. Um, I, I humble myself. I, I, I want to be the person you want me to be. And I come into mercy and I receive mercy. And Lord, I want to be the person you want I come back into grace. See, when Paul says, you've, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Galatia, he says, you've fallen from grace. He doesn't mean you've fallen from mercy. He just means you're no longer in the central place where God, where God is, uh, you're being what he wants you to be and what he wants you to do. And so grace is the empowering presence of God. Grace isn't just a, grace isn't just a word. Grace is a, is a commodity. It's a, it's a substance. And you can have it and it flows through you, and it's beautiful, and you get it through humility. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Twice we get that in the scripture, both in, in James and in Hebrews, it's, uh, and also in 1 Peter. It's, it's, it's just so, so clear. Um, and humility, I've put a definition here, humility is the accepting of God's plan for me without pretense or regret. Lord, I accept the person that you're making me to be. I'm not going to try and be the, have the gifts that someone else has got. I'm not going to regret being the person you made me to be. I'm glad you've made me the person you have. I'm not going to compare myself with someone else because uh, every time I do that, I'm saying that God made a mistake and I fall out of grace because I'm in my pride trying to be somebody that God didn't intend me to be. But uh, humility says, Lord, I accept your call upon my life, however you want me to be and whatever you want me to do. And as I do that, I come into grace. Grace empowers me. It empowers me. It gives me and brings and enables, opens the gateway, the floodgates of joy and peace and love flow into my life when I'm living in the center of God's grace. And that's, I just, I've always found that just the most helpful sort of way of understanding. I want to stay in the middle of God's grace. We often say, Jesus, be the center. And I, I, I love that. Um, and sometimes I find myself, you know, under judgment, I realize I've done something that's really wrong and it's really offended God and I've been carrying on with it, not realizing, because we deceive ourselves. It's a little sin, Lord, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's a little bit of this, it's a little lying, it's a little cheating, it's a little pornography, it's a little this, it's a little that, you know, it's, but it's not really a big deal. And then, then conviction comes. And it, oh, gosh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm sensing that kind of judgment. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. And God says, well, I will. God says, he has mercy on all who turn to him. All who truly repent, God has mercy um, upon him. Remember, we said repentance is just turning around. So here I am heading out of grace. Repentance means turn around. I repent in humility and get back into grace. So you find yourself in judgment, you repent, you turn around. You're heading out, but you need to be heading in. 
um, repentance, to turn around. Um, and grace is a powerful weapon of our warfare. And, it, 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 well, it, it's interesting. It's not so much a weapon of our warfare, but the process of getting to the place where God's grace flows through me, that's, that's the, the weapon, is, is the exercise of humility, the receiving of God's mercy, and the accepting of God's plan and purpose on my life. That's, that's the weapon we have. The enemy can have no hold on someone who wants and is fully accepting the plan and purpose of God for their lives. How can he? It makes you, invo- it makes you impervious to all his lies and his, as long as I can stay in that place. But it's hard to stay in that place, which is why it's a, often a lifelong journey to learn how to stay in that place of grace and not keep um, getting out of it. Is that, is that kind of... Well, I'll just share that with you. Then the, the next weapon of our warfare is the ministry of the Spirit. We have found that the, the, the ministry of God's Holy Spirit has taken on fresh um, power when in preparation for asking for the Spirit of God to come upon us, we have positioned our hearts in humility and in um, forgiveness. And when, when we've come to a settled place in our hearts, then we welcome the Holy Spirit. And now, now the Holy Spirit can empower that because the Holy Spirit always empowers the will of God, but he never empowers the will of Tim. But he always empowers the will of God. And when my will lines up with his will, he'll empower that. But God isn't going to empower unforgiveness. He's not going to empower pride and independence. He's not going to empower uh, insignificance or rejection. He'll not empower those things. He hates those things. God is a God of embracing love. He, anything that stands against that, he, he hates. He's not going to empower that. And when I insist on staying in it through pride, God's blessing is restricted. It doesn't mean we won't experience his power because he's gracious and he'll find whatever chink I let open, he'll fill it. But the more I can place before him, the more there is to fill, the more there is to empower. And so we found that the ministry of the Spirit takes on fresh um, impact when we learn to position our hearts in this way. Um, and... Uh, so that's the ministry of the, the ministry of the Spirit, uh, another weapon of our warfare. We pray for the empowering presence of God to come. We ask the Holy Spirit to come, but first we we come to that place of humility, forgiveness, uh, whatever it might need to be. And then um, another weapon of our warfare is the power of agreement. When Jan and I are deciding where to go on holiday, usually it's Jan that takes the initiative. I will leave everything till the last minute. Jan says, let's go here. I say, oh, no, that's, we can't get it. It's far too expensive. That's normally how it goes. And, um, and then we don't, we don't we, you know, we, Jan wants to book it up, but I don't want to because I don't like committing, um, you know, just the way it is. That's an ENFP for you. That's how it goes. So I'll always like try to leave it as long as possible. And Jam with that jolly old T function, Myers-Briggs, will always say, let's do it, let's get it sorted. It's the logical thing to do, which it is, um, but it's irritating. Um, and uh, to me. And so we have a little fallout about it because Jam wants to do it, but I, we don't agree. We're in disagreement. We have fallout about it. Uh, and now we don't really speak. Now it's a little bit kind of stilted. Now it's not very easy. You're a little bit kind of, uh, you know, how are you? Yeah, fine, thank you. You, know. uh, you just know there's something between you, a little something to resolve. And then usually what happens is I, I see sense and say, you know what, I think that, we, that could be a great holiday. Let's do that. Book it up. 
Really? Yeah, book it up. We book it up. We've come back into agreement. Now we love each other and our relationship can continue and we're happy and the conversation flows over breakfast because we've come into agreement with each other. Now, if that's how it goes with us, what happens when we come into agreement with God? What happens when we position ourselves to agree with his intended plan and purpose, desire and will for our lives or for the situations that we face, when we come into line and agree with God, then his power is released. It's a weapon of, to agree with God is a weapon of our warfare. Jesus said, whatever you should agree, if two or three should agree on anything as touching my name, it will be done. There's power in agreement which is why when we need to pray about something, we often ask two or three others to join us. Say, look, I, 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 would, you, would you be a witness to me? Will you be witnesses with me before the Lord that this is my prayer? And when we agree together over something, it's powerful. And the corollary of that's true as well, isn't it? That if we don't agree with God, which quite a lot of the time we're not, when we're in a stronghold, um, he says, do not fear, but we're actually being anxious we're not in agreement with God at that point he's saying I'm in charge I've got it covered and we're going I don't believe you basically yeah it sounds harsh doesn't it but that's actually what we're doing Um, it's really what we're doing Um, so and the final weapon is repentance but we did this last week and if you didn't get the notes on it then there's there's um there's some on the table. We may have run out of some of them, but I'm, we'll, we'll have them all again next week. Repentance, that beautiful gift that God gives us, the ability to choose against our, our natural instincts or feelings, but to choose what we still believe to be right. It's what sets humankind apart in, in a way from, from all else that God created. We don't have to act out of instinct. You know, I feel it, so I do it. We can choose something that we don't feel. I don't feel the love of God, but I choose to trust that he does love me because I know it's the truth and I'm going to act like it's true and I'm going to trust him for its truth because I know it is true. I'm going to repent of my feeling that he doesn't love me. I'm going to repent of that because it's not the truth. I'm going to turn my thinking around. Repent. Re means reverse. Pentos, your mind. To redo your mind. Think again. Turn around in your thinking. Come into line with how God intends me to be in my life. Um, the weapons of our warfare. In a couple of minutes, we're going to get into groups. Um, and then we're going to do a worksheet together. The worksheets are just one tool to help us get a grip on the kinds of strongholds we encounter. It's not the only way, and some people don't really find them very helpful, that's fine. Remember, they're not to bring you into condemnation. It's not about how many you tick or how few you tick. It doesn't really matter. It's just to help you begin to understand how strongholds play out in our lives. Um, and it doesn't make us bad Christians. Actually, this is a step to freedom. Sometimes we use prophecy, not worksheets. We ask the Lord to show us what's coming against me. Why, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Because often I don't understand why I'm feeling out of faith or out of sorts or frustrated. I don't know. And I ask the Lord, what's the source of this? Lord? What's going on here? And we've learned to ask the Lord very quickly, Lord, what's going on here? Oh, okay, it's that. Well, I'm not having any of that, Lord, because I want to live in the abundant life that you planned, even though we're going to be two hours late for Sunday lunch. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just want to take authority over that. You know, okay, it's going to be late, but what do you want to do now? How can we use this time? Um, and uh, 
our neighbour and Jan's mum had the time of their lives, two hours to chat <laughs> about everything and anything. Uh, two wonderful elderly ladies being able to just chat and have time. They loved it. And Jan was at peace um, while I was in Sweden. So, <laughs> preaching. <laughs> so, um, a stronghold is a place, using that same, same word, a place of empowered resistance. Empowered because the enemy seizes every opportunity to empower sin. Uh, unbelief, pride, arrogance, rejection. Uh, you may think, well, rejection is not a sin. Surely I'm a victim of it. But rejection causes a response in me. And it, it's a sinful response in the sense that it's not God's plan and purpose for me. A stronghold is a place of empowered resistance. Someone said to me last week, how many strongholds are there? And the answer is that, well, there aren't a set number. Um, it's, it's anything that opposes God's heart. So let me just quickly, um, before we go into groups, try and demonstrate it like this. What kind of a heart does God bless? Just think about what you know from the Bible. What kind of heart does God bless? Well, I've given you one already. God blesses the humble of heart. What else do we know? An undivided heart God will bless. Give me an undivided heart, O Lord, the psalmist cried. The psalmist uh, also said, trust in the Lord with all your strength. Trust in the Lord. Trust is the kind of heart that God loves and longs for. What else? Say again. A, a, a clean heart, yes. Yeah, a clean heart. Clean heart and pure hands you will not despise, O oh Lord. A clean heart. Brilliant. I'm getting the hang of this. These are the kinds of heart places that God loves. These attract the presence and the power of God. Yeah, contrite heart, an obedient heart. Um, contrite, I, I it's clean. Uh, actually, no, I'll put contrite down as well because you're absolutely right. Brilliant. Generous. Generous. Thankful. Okay, so it always starts, there's others we could add, okay? These appear in Scripture over and over and over again. This is the kind of heart that God blesses. This is the abundant life. God, this is the gateway to the abundant life that God has planned for us. We don't start with strongholds. We start with the beautiful will of God. What then happens is that the enemy seeks to oppose the will of God. See, this is the heart that God blesses, so the enemy brings pride. God desires an undivided heart, but I become divided in my heart. The enemy wants me to trust, but instead he brings doubt and unbelief. And these things, it's hard to enter the grace of God when I'm holding on to these things. Well, these things are, are actively at work in my mind through the empowering of the enemy which is why we need to use the weapons of our warfare to pull them down to bring us back to the heart that Jesus wanted. God wants us to be clean, but we actually hide sin. Uh, we, we hide sin. And what you have down here is a whole ton of strongholds. Every, the strongholds is whatever opposes the kind of heart that God wants. So instead of obedience, we have rebellion. Rebellion is a stronghold. Um, instead of trust, we have um, doubt, unbelief, but also put control in there. Uh, the opposite of trusting God is you've got to control things ourselves. God has a contrite heart. We have a haughty spirit instead. That's the opposite. That's a stronghold. Um, generous. 
uh, we would have uh, what many Christians would call a poverty spirit. It's a stronghold, and people who have a poverty spirit, you, 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 you know, it's an empowered place. They just can't help it. They're just always seeing poverty and lack and not enough. Um, and uh, I know because I, I grew up a little bit with that in my family. They didn't mean to, but that was just something that I never really th- thought of. I, I thought it was just the way everyone was until I married Jan and realized that not everybody counts every penny to the nearest detail and resents having to spend anything at all ever. Um, and it was a... Yeah. Not everybody knows how much the price of petrol is at any particular time, do they? Tim's family always knew where the cheapest petrol was, and they would drive for five miles just to get it. Mm. It's true. It's, it is true. Um, and I've had, to, I've had to deal with that in my own life, and I've been, I'd still have to deal with it. But I recognize it so easily now, and I realize that. And, I and think... he has made so much ground. It's really exciting. No, honestly, watching him resist that stronghold and actually um, repent by walking the opposite and deliberately um, being generous. It's a great, it's a great thing. If you, admit, if you admit that sometimes you have a poverty spirit, it's great because the opposite of a poverty spirit is learn how to spend money. And, and it's, it's really exciting. On other people. <laughs> It's a really good one to have. So, so if, if it's yours, no, don't be afraid of admitting that because the way out of it is get more comfortable spending money. Um, just book an expensive restaurant to take your, your partner out and just say, you know what, I'm going to do it because I love her and she's worth as much as I can possibly afford. And she is. She is. And it's a lovely thing to be able to say, you know what, just do it. Yeah. Exactly. Thankful. God, it says a thankful heart over and over again. Come before the Lord with thanksgiving in Gratitude is a stronghold. And some of you know people who have a stronghold of ingratitude. And aren't they miserable? Everything's wrong all the time. Never thanks about anything. You can't see the good in anything. These strongholds, see, it starts with the beautiful will of God for us. This is how he intended humankind to be. But through the fall and through the empowering presence of the enemy, we find that these things deliberately try to oppose the truth of God. God is working this in my life. This is the place of graceful acceptance, and I'm going to war against these things that still try to control my life, and I have to pull them down with the weapons of my warfare. That's what transforming life is is all about. Um, It's a positioning of my heart. Very often, the weapons of our warfare, that's why we talk about it's, it's... we're really using them for ourselves. Not for, it, it's not the stuff that's coming against us. It's my attitude and response to it. There may be lots of things happening in my life that, that, that make me want to be unthankful. We'll find something to be thankful for because it will release the power of God against the things that are coming against your life. Um, that's the principle. That's kind of a great summary of what we've been trying to... Well, I hope it's a great summary of what we've been trying to share with you over the last four weeks. Um, in our groups, we've got some questions. Thanks, Valley. Um, four questions. We've got plenty of time to do this, so um, we'll take till 20 past in groups. Then we're going to just come back and we're going to look at one stronghold and we're going to pray together. Um, and we'll finish uh, probably just two or three minutes after half nine. Okay. Two or three minutes after half nine, we will finish tonight. Mm-hmm.